welcome to the Messy Antics Podcast, a podcast about all things Messianic Judaism. Each episode, we will be sharing our opinions as we tackle some of the biggest issues in Messianic Judaism. Now, here's your hosts, Rabbis Eric, David, Jonathan, and Toby. We're so glad that you've joined us again this week uh, on our podcast. We're going to discuss conferences, retreats, events like that. Uh, the MJAA Messiah Conference is taking place this week that we're recording, which will be a few weeks ago or last week when you hear this. Uh, but the MJ Conference is going on, and then next week or somewhere uh, in two there weeks from now is the will be the conference, Union yeah. Conference. And then there were several other conferences that have gone on. The Tacoon Conference has already taken place. So there's a number of Messianic conferences uh, nationally and then regionally that go on, as well as men's conferences and women's conferences and, and separate things like uh, our congregation in particular does a cruise retreat where we invite, it's intercongregational, but we're the ones that uh, that kind of set everything up. So we thought we would talk about uh, experiences at conferences, not, not negative experiences, because we want everybody to feel like they want to go to them still. Uh, you know, in anything that goes on, you can find negative things to complain about. But uh, positive or fun experiences, and I wanted to start off by sharing an, an experience that actually happened on one of the intercongregational cruises. And that was on our very first morning. Each day of the cruise, we either have a morning service gathering teaching or we have an evening gathering teaching, uh, depending on whether the ship is on the water where it's going to be there all day, and then we do the morning. And then if people are getting off the boat to go explore the islands or whatever, we do it in the evening um, afterwards so that everybody can enjoy their cruise but still participate in the events. So the very first day of the cruise, uh, when we uh, the next day, the first day you get on the boat, but the first morning of the cruise, we gathered in what was the chapel on that ship. Now uh, we all gathered together, and when we, because it's intercongregational, I don't know everybody that's on the ship when they first arrive because there's people that come from Texas and Louisiana and other places to join us on the cruise. So we decided we would have everybody introduce themselves. So we're going down the list of, you know, I'm so-and-so from here, I'm so-and-so from here. And we get to the last row of the people that were on the in the group. And one said, I'm Bob from Thomasville, and I'm, or Robert from Thomasville, I'm Robert from Pensacola, I'm Robert from uh, Texas. And then the last one was a lady And she said, well, I guess I'm Robert from wherever she was from. And it kind of struck me as weird this woman was saying she was Robert. And then we had our service. It was a great service, lots of worship. And and I was watching her as it went on, and she was worshiping along with us and everything. And then we got done, and uh, we were getting ready to dismiss. And she says, can I say something? And I said, yeah, sure. And she said, this is the weirdest AA meeting I've ever been to. Oh, my gosh. And, and what had happened was on the the ship itinerary sheet that they give you each morning in your cabin, it had listed the friends of Bill W. 
was meeting in the room we were meeting in. They hadn't fixed it to show where the actual meeting was going to take place. So she arrived at our service thinking it was an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting right? and sat through the whole thing, which was why when she got, because she got there a little late, so she sat down. So it was, hi, I'm Robert, I'm Robert, I'm Robert. She so thought it was she like was, code. It was code for, you know, um, <laughs> you know, I'm a friend of Bill W. You know, and so. You said she participated. She was- participated in the service. That's she awesome. sang songs with us. That's she, great. Everything went on. And it was a fully messianic service, so it was. Wow. Uh, and she got done, and she said, "This was the weirdest." She said, "I really like it. Can I come back tomorrow?" And we said, "Of course you can." And then she shared uh, a little of her story and, and how she got to where she was and, and everything. But I guess it was God just had other plans. For yeah, it was just a, a really fun experience, and and she did come back, and we we she was part of our group meeting each uh, each day we gathered together. So, but that was a fun experience where we got somebody got actually brought to our meeting that was not part of our group, but we did get to interact and share Messiah and and love on her and be a blessing to her. So that's one fun kind of experience uh, from a conference. Um, one of y'all want to jump in with one? Uh, yeah. Um, well, this is a funny one because I do actually have some really, I mean, I have a couple of really good ones. Um, just a couple. I, I had some, I've had some, this is Rabbi Toby, by the way, but yeah, I, I've actually had some life changing moments at the Southeast regional. That's the one I've been to the most, uh, as far as, um, consider, I've, I went to Messiah one time back in 2012 and I'd spent most of my time with the YMJ then, uh, because my wife and I were serving, um, <clears throat> as part of the worship team uh, for the YMJ. So, uh, but, but most consistently the Southeast regional, I will say this, uh, in, in all my conference experience, uh, I'll say one of the things that really makes a difference or can make a difference. Let's say, and it's not like it's the main thing is this, the location of mm-hmm. the conference. Um, and the Southeast regional is always in Orlando and I really like it there. Um, it's not. I do enjoy the Rosen Plaza. I've made a lot of great memories there, and you know, so it'll always hold a special place in my heart. But uh, I would recommend uh, being very um, selective about where you go in Orlando, simply because. Um, and it's. It, it was. Um, you know, usually now traditionally since uh, we've started hanging out with David and stuff, which you know I've been friends with David since 2015, but uh, we always go to Disney Springs. Which is essentially like the little city Disney built yeah, yeah. outside of the, you know, and that's a blast. You know, you went with us you yeah. know, this past year, yeah. Um, it's where we get hats. It's where we get hats, yeah. <laughs> and various Marvel, Star Wars memorabilia and such. Um, but I remember one time um, we were going to have some dinner with friends, and it was not like dress nice dinner. It was like um, we were... Um, Fast casual. It, yeah, but it definitely wasn't something I could wear gym shorts to, which is basically what I brought, with the exception of like the suit I wear on Friday night and Saturday. Like I usually have like nice clothes to wear Friday night to the service, nice clothes to wear Saturday morning to the tour service, yeah. and then I'm gym shorts and t-shirts the rest of the time. I did not bring jeans, and Brooks like, so you're gonna wear gym shorts to to dinner, <laughs> and I was like, nope, and she, uh, and I was like, but I don't. I went through my bag and I did not pack jeans. So I said, you know what? There's got to be a store nearby. I can just grab a pair of jeans. No. There was nothing nearby. 
nothing nearby like that I could snag like a fifteen dollar pair of jeans. Not like even that. some oh fifteen dollars at Disney. What are you buying? Or, water? Not Disney. I wasn't going. To, I was just talking about if there's a Walmart. Or oh, something. For, for future emergency <laughs> situations like that, there is a Walmart like five minutes from the hotel. I don't remember what I did. There's also I, a J.C. Penney. I don't know what I was thinking. You know, sometimes you look back and you realize that you did something stupid. Sure. And that is what I did. Catherine and I, we went. We actually went to the Walmart. One of the conferences because Catherine needed something. Yeah, Walmart or some trip serves one of my wife's traditions. Yeah. It's like I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know. Yeah. I can't tell you what I was thinking. So I went, and the first place that I typed in, I think it was like clothing stores or something, and there was a gap, and it was like five miles away. Wow. But this is Orlando on a Saturday night. Yeah. So it took me like forty-five minutes to get there. Sure. I mean, the traffic was god awful, and I get there and I spend like. $35 on a pair, of, which is probably pretty cheap for Gap. I get a pair of jeans. And I get, didn't even know Gap was still in I was gone for so long when I get to the place, which is a Chinese place. Everyone was done with dinner. And I sit down and Brooke goes, well, I ordered you some chicken. But your jeans are nice. And now we got to get back to service. You know, because their service is starting. I'm just like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. They got to just rock the shorts. <laughs> I should have just rocked like my <laughs> and ones. <laughs> no, that that's a funny story. I'd love. To, I, I want to share some some serious ones uh, later on in the episode. But yeah, that that's my first submission. It was a stupid thing that I did. It just has to do with the location. But I do love Orlando. But the only place I really go is like Disney. And if I'm yeah. going to go somewhere else, I'm going to ride with somebody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I did not have a good excursion. So one of my one of my favorite memories. You know, conference retreat, whatever is, and this goes back to oh Jesus, probably was two thousand, what two thousand two, two thousand three, something like that. When uh, Sharesh David put on the uh, uh, Rise Youth Conference or whatever, it was what year retreat, was this? Whatever, it was like two thousand two, two thousand three. Oh, this is a while. It was before wow. we moved to New York. We moved to New York in oh four, so it was probably, I guess, it was probably two thousand two. Um, and uh, so. That this was back when like YMJ wasn't doing retreats. Nobody was doing youth retreats because nobody thought it would work in the Messianic community. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so Rabbi Steve Weiler with uh, Sharesh David had the idea to try try this for the Southeast and just kind of see what happens. And it was like everybody kind of looked at it and was like, well, I don't is this going to work? Is this something that's worthwhile? And they yeah, their congregation really, um, uh, for lack of a better way of wording. Fun, funded most of it. It was dirt cheap to go. They provided places for everybody to stay. Uh, they provided food the whole weekend and whatever. But uh, what was the most amazing thing about it was that this retreat that honestly most people looked at and were like, I don't really know what's going to happen, what's going to come of it, whatever, ended up having about 400 people uh, show up, three or 400 people. They were all age range from, I think the youngest was like 13. And the oldest was, I think, like early 30s or like right at 30. But he was like sort of a youth leader with the, the congregation he was with and all. But uh, there, there was this huge group that showed up. And we actually ended up having to find an alternative space to put everybody like for services and stuff because it was there were too many people. Uh, but it was this like tremendous uh, shift spiritually, I think, in uh, the youth of the Southeast movement. And a matter of fact, some of the friends that Danielle and I made at that particular retreat are people that we're still very close with in the Messianic community today. Most of them are still very active in uh, Messianic congregations and you know some of them are in, in ministry in various avenues and such. Um, but it was one of the most 
impactful. It was I was telling Rabbi Toby on the way here because oddly enough we were having a conversation sort of like this on the way here. But um, we were I was telling him that this was like you know there's there's those moments you look back at in life that are defining moments, right? And this was one of those defining moments in terms of my faith walk because that was really I would say the point that like I went full surrender. Um, and more so, it was the point that I kind of threw the towel in on my fight with God about being a rabbi because I didn't want to do that yet. Um, I still don't know that I want to do it, but I'm doing it. Uh, <laughs> but at that point, I was like, I was fighting with God on it, and I just kind of threw in the towel. Uh, and, and that was kind of that defining uh, trajectory like area. Um, but it was such an amazing retreat, you know, 300 something kids that all walked out of there with lives changed, um, watching as what a lot of people doubted ended up being a whole ton of kids that were fully involved, fully active, fully on fire for the Lord. Um, and I mean, it was, uh, Rabbi Eric was actually there, was one of the, the speakers, uh, for one of the events. I forget which, which service it was, but, uh, it was, it was that impactful, but uh, no, uh, <laughs> but the retreat itself was just phenomenal. Yeah, one of and the it was things such about a, the retreat that you're speaking of is that, the services were all youth run there there were some adult speakers but the worship service and all and mm-hmm. some of the youth spoke but their shabbat service which was scheduled to be about 2 hours ended up lasting about 4 hours 5 hours mm-hmm. because not because anything not because people talked longer or nobody whatever but worshiping. nobody wanted to stop worshiping yeah. and it it changed every young person from our synagogue that attended uh, came back, life changed, mm-hmm. uh, which was uh, a dramatic thing. Which and, and from that becomes the YMJ yeah. youth retreat. Yeah, the YMJ youth retreats kind of spawned to some degree from that, uh, and cool. it actually was such a huge thing that uh, they uh, sort of threw together really quick a last minute uh, young leaders <clears throat> retreat, like two months later. It wasn't on the plans. wasn't supposed. It just like it was such an obvious necessity. For the, the the really the twenty somethings and, and early thirty somethings that were you know had a heart for ministry and, and all and so we ended up with another seventy some odd people that showed up for this thing that was planned in two months uh, and spent an entire weekend uh, in worship together and, and growing together and all it, it was that was probably one of my favorite experiences in terms of uh, of being in a, a retreat or a conference environment. Cool. So I've got two that I want to share briefly. Uh, one is my first rabbi's conference, which when I first attended as a rabbi, I didn't know any of the people there. And the very first night, uh, Rabbi Charlie Kluge was going to be speaking. And when he walked in the room back, this been a long time ago, but the, the collarless shirts were popular. You know, the dress shirts that didn't have a, a flip over collar. They were just almost clergy collar type looking Sure. Right. Yeah. Back then, and and he had walked in and he had taken a piece of paper and hung it over the front of his shirt, black shirt, so it looked like he was wearing a priest's shirt, you know, with the, with the clergy collar. Toby, the and, clerical collar chases yeah. you down again. Yeah. And then and and so uh, when they introduced him, they said, and and now we're going to call Father Charlie Kluge up to share with us this evening. And it was the opening night of the thing, and all I could think of was. I'm out of here. If, if they're, if they, you know, if they're bringing a Catholic priest to teach tonight, um, this is really concerning me. Concerning this whole messianic movement and IMCS thing. Now, of course, it was just a joke at the time, but uh, 
but it, it really was a funny moment of, at, the of, at the time. So, but the other one is actually one that it was probably one of the most meaningful events to me that's ever happened at a conference, and it actually deals with my stepfather. And um, for years, I had tried to share Yeshua with my mom and my stepdad. My dad died when I was very young, and uh, and my family and. I had got invited to be a speaker at the Southeast Conference. So I called my dad and I said, hey, I'm going to be speaking at a conference in Orlando and I'd love for you and mom to come up. I'll pay for your hotel room and and everything, but it'd be nice to have you there because they only lived an hour and a half away. And to my dad, who was a CPA, if you got asked to speak at a conference of your peers. So if you were, for instance, if you were a CPA and you got asked to speak at a conference, it meant you had achieved something. You were respected. You were well-known. It was a very, uh, in that business mindset. Now, he didn't know that at the time I was, I think, the 24th or 25th ordained rabbi in the IMCS. And largely it was, here's a, a warm body that's, you know, ordained. Let's use him. And not so much uh, in the way that he was thinking of, you know, hundreds or thousands of people getting chosen to speak. But he came to the event. And uh, we asked them, him and my mom, we said, look, if you can come and to the event, I'll pay for the hotel and all. But I'd really like for you to come to at least one of the events because you are taking advantage of the inexpensive hotel room and so on. So they came to the service. Uh and then they came the next year, and they came the next year, and, and it became a way of our family having a, a family reunion. Lots of my family, at one time there were 40-something of us that came to the conference. But on the last conference that my dad came to, uh, we had the same rule. If you come to the hotel and you hang out, you got to come to one of the services. So he came to the service, and it was his first evening service that he'd come to. And Rabbi Judah Hungerman was speaking, who's one of my favorite speakers, and uh, he's usually a very kind of stand in one place and just talk kind of guy. This particular night, he started walking back and forth on the stage and very loud and all, almost televangelist, which uh, that was going on. The lady in front of us was worshiping and in a way that her worship expression was very much like doing karate. <laughs> and, and I'm not mocking her, but the, from an outward appearance. So my dad's sitting next to me, my mom's sitting next to him, and this lady in front of us is doing spiritual karate. The youth dance team from Shoresh David decided they were going to dance right next to us in the aisle. Uh, Rabbi Hungerman went through this whole thing where he was very expressive in his worship. There was just It was like if I made a list of all the things I didn't want to happen, because my dad, the CPA, the very conservative right. uh, reserved. reserved person was there. It was like God checked off every list of things not to have happen. And then at the end of Rabbi Hungerman's message, he gave an altar call, which again is not something that normally happened. They, they asked people to come down and have prayer if they want to and stuff like that. But to actually give, if you you know don't know the Lord, stand where you are and you know that kind of thing. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, my, my mom and dad, they're never going to come back to anything. And, and as I look over the row next to me, my dad is grabbing my mom's hand and trying to get her to stand up. And she's got a death grip on her chair. She is not letting go. But he stands up, and then he gets led through this prayer of accepting Yeshua as his Messiah at this conference. 
and two and a half weeks later has a massive heart attack and dies. Oh, wow. And uh, so one of the most meaningful experiences at the conference was my stepdad, yeah. uh, who I call my dad because I was young when, when he married my mom. My, my fa- uh, biological father died when I was seven, so he was really the dad that I knew most of my life. Um, gave his heart to the Lord at a Southeast MJAA conference uh, just weeks before he had a massive heart attack and died. And Paul Wilbur uh, doing concerts at the Southeast Regional for years was the thing that like lured my grandmother permanently to the conference. So she would come every year <laughs> just to hear Paul Wilbur. Uh, and actually, it was at the, the Southeast the first time she uh, asked for a uh, Bible with the Bracha in it, with the New yes. Testament in it. Uh, and so real quick, without missing a beat, my dad's like, all right, let's go to the marketplace. We'll go find you one right now. <laughs> That's right. She said, I want a Bible. I said, I'm going to get you one. And she, her car, she only had when she passed, the only CDs she had in her car were Paul Wilbur and Barbara Streisand wow. uh, in her car. So mm-hmm. that's who she listened to. And, and she proclaimed faith in Messiah to uh, to my family and asked me when I did her funeral to, uh, to make sure that the whole family understood what her faith was and what it was in. And uh, again, the, the Southeast Conference bringing my... My parents to the Southeast Conference ended up with both of it's them kind of catalyst. Uh, as a catalyst yeah. and, and ultimately led to my grandparents coming to faith also. Yeah. I think probably my most meaningful moment was my first Southeast Conference. Was uh, I'd met a gentleman from, he was a professor at Clemson University and lived, I think he taught at Clemson but lived in North Carolina. So... And he was telling, for those of you who don't know, Clemson's in uh, South Carolina. Um, but he was, well, I don't even know how we had gotten to talking, but just kind of one of those, you know, out in the hallways kind of mm-hmm. interactions you start to have. And um, we were talking about, you know, how he really didn't have a Messianic community where he was. He had kind of been attending a church, you know, um, but he really didn't have, you know, Jewish believers through which he could, like, experience Jewish life with as a believer in Yeshua. Um, so, the, so the conference was great for him. And this was the, you know, the Southeast 2021 was the first conference I had post, you know, after COVID, the pandemic. And so he had really been around nobody for a long time. And so he was just kind of laying it all on me, you know, about all these, the, I guess the struggles he had been having, you know, um, by himself and how he was just overjoyed that he could be there. It was such a blessing. And then I ran into him again, um, and he was just, you know, kind of, again, talking about some of the life troubles that he was, you know, going through um, at the time. You know, older gentleman, you know, I don't think he had a lot of family left or that lived close. Uh, And so just kind of in that moment, I was like, well, let's let me pray for you. And so I got to pray with him for you know a few minutes and that was very meaningful um to get to do because it was probably one of the first times that i've ever just kind of been like let me pray for you and done it then and there you know with someone who really needed it uh and then i saw him last year at this conference as well he was in the dance circle oh cool uh up up at the front you know southeast so uh yeah that's um yeah i think the most i mean i've had a couple i mean just very briefly uh the, the first rabbi's conference I went to uh, this past January was really meaningful uh, because that was 
you know, going up front, receiving my um, certificate and all that and getting prayed over. And yeah. That initial uh, laying on of hands means a lot, you know, and I have a lot of good memories there. And um, I, I will say, uh, because Rabbi Eric brought up uh, Rabbi Judah, Judah Hungerman, I actually had an encounter with him that was really life-changing. It's kind of one of those moments I won't forget. And he probably doesn't know who I am. He doesn't know my name. He was teaching a class. And I don't think I had... It was in like 2006, 2007 maybe. And I was like, just going. I know I was really kind of going through a tough time with some personal spiritual stuff. I mean, I was a believer and I love God very much. But sometimes, you know, God takes you through things and you, you kind of wrestle with God over issues in your life. Yeah. And I was kind of in the middle of one of those situations. And um, I had some free time and I said, I don't want to just come here. I don't want to. I don't want to be negative, but I know that some people just go to the southeast, especially to get a raid on a hotel and lay out by the pool all day. And I didn't want to do that because I think that while while God will interrupt your life if you're not looking for Him, yeah, I think He especially honors people who are seeking Him. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Bible does say, yeah, if you seek, you'll find. Right? I wasn't, and I just was like, I don't want to just come here and just try to meet my future wife, which didn't happen for another three or four years. Yeah. I'm not going to come here and do that, which I've been to plenty of conferences and hope that would happen. <laughs> it did happen eventually, but I don't want to just come and try to meet some girl. Yeah. I don't want to hang out by the pool. Um, so I said, I'm going to go to this class. I have a couple hours. So I went to Rabbi Judah Hungerman. I'd never heard of him. It was his slot was when I was teach, when I was available. So I went and it was not at all like um, Rabbi Eric when he first described Rabbi Ju- Judah Hungerman. It was like he was standing still, and he's very quiet. That's exactly how he was. He's very yeah. gentle. Yeah, this gentle strength kind of uh, there, there's something behind it all, right? It's just kind of how God anointed him, right? And he said, "Okay, I'm done." And he gives a teaching. He says some really powerful stuff about Jews and non-Jews in the movement which I thought was so powerful, you could almost kind of like feel the awkwardness in the room. Sure. He said, so you're Gentile and you're here? Who cares? He goes, are you Jewish? Who cares? I was like, oh, man, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> but when he was done, he said, I have a few minutes that I've set aside because I think God wants to do something. He goes, so if you have somewhere to go, you can go. If you want to stay, I want to anoint you. I want to pray with you. And just about everybody stayed. Just about, you know, a lot. Of, some people left, but I stuck around because I was like, you know. Yeah. And I'm not going to share what he said to me, but I wrote it down, and I still have it. And everything he said to me uh, was uh, happened. Yeah. It took, fi- it took like 15 years. Yeah, but it happened. 10 to 15 years, but it happened. Yeah. And I guess I'm saying to say that, to say, you know, if you took eight hours of your day, let's just say you took eight hours of your day to read the Bible, you you could read the entirety of David's life in eight hours. And I think what happens is people read the scriptures. I'm not trying to preach during this conversation time, but people read the scriptures and they think that when God does things in people's life, that, that, that within a week, God completely laid out these people's destiny and acted on their behalf. Yeah. What they don't realize is the amount of time, is the years they had to wait and things like that and the development right. they had right. to go through and the things that God took them through where they made it seem like it's not going to happen, right? Right. Looking back on that moment with Rabbi Judah Hungerman now, I can see like so much of, of what he said would happen to me happened. Yeah. And the faithfulness of God. This is very, one of the most meaningful moments. Yeah. Second thing is very brief. 
it was at the end of a conference. It was a Saturday night. When we conference had one more day, Sunday, but it was Saturday night. And, Southeast. Uh, Southeast. Yeah, I was hanging out in the lobby uh, with a friend, and uh, this couple walks up to me and says, uh, "Me and this guy that I'm with," and he got, and they said, "What is this?" And I said, well, "It's a conference, a Messianic Jewish conference. We're Jewish, but we noticed there's all these Jewish people walking around." I said, "Yeah, it's a conference, Messianic Jewish," and they said. Well, we don't know what that is, but we have never felt what we're feeling. And that was, that's very brief, but like these people were feeling the presence of the Messiah. It was like, and I think I saw with my own eyes the impact that Yeshua has on Jewish people that are, that, that, um, don't recognize him yet. It's, it's, Yeshua is like, that's what, yeah, that's what they're looking for. Yeah. And, I have it, and that's proof that I have it. And even though I believe Yeshua still, he still takes you to school yeah. on why he is who he is and how he is who he is. So yeah. that happened at a Southeast. So. Yeah. I think one of the funniest experiences I've had is actually from this past Southeast Regional where I was uh, I was on stage speaking in the Saturday night service. Lord help us. <laughs> I was preaching about, uh, in essence, like pushing through whatever is in front of you. Like if God gave you something to do, if he gave you a call, gave you a purpose, you've got to, like whatever adversity you face, you've got to keep trucking through. You've got to push through. Yeah. And literally out of nowhere, I hear this snap right beside my head. I'm like, what in the world? And I'm kind of trying to keep on track and keep going. And then I realize, wait, I can only half see what's going on. And I realized that my my eyeglasses broke on stage in the middle of me, like literally in the middle of my message, my eyeglasses break, and my lens shot out of my eyeglasses onto the stage. And so, like, without missing a beat, I had to real quick bend down, pick up my lens, set it down on the podium, and hope I could read my notes through the rest of the message to be able to, to say what I was saying. Uh, but And then I get off the stage, everything's said and done, people come up to me that evening afterwards, they're like, Man, that was such a great message, and 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 then your eyeglasses breaking, like the, the 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 spirit was moving so powerfully through you that it broke your glasses. You know, kind of joking back and forth with stuff like that, and uh, and suddenly it dawned on me, I had the prime example of what I was talking about happen, and I didn't even capitalize on it. I just like ignored it and kept. <laughs> well, which you know, there, ironically yeah. points to exactly what you were preaching yeah, about. Right. Yeah, but. Uh, I will say, on, on, kind of since we've come to more humor side, at the rabbis' conference, um, for those of you who don't go to the rabbis' conference, you know, when you're at the other conferences, the regionals and Messiah, there's so many people. Like, it's so crowded. It's kind of hard to feel the audience sometimes, like, especially if you're not speaking. Like, if you're just there, it's kind of hard. To, but when you're at rabbis' conference, it is very easy to tell who is mourning people and who are not morning people <laughs> <laughs> because there's only you know there's only like a hundred or so and, and when he says mourning people we're not talking about someone who's mourning a lost loved one he's talking about <laughs> the people who yeah. can get up in the morning yeah the, well, and the people who don't it's and it's not even the people who show up to like the se- the sessions like late it's just it's the people who are like in line they look absolutely toasted dead looking for coffee in the mornings <laughs> they're they're you know they're coming through they're like like oh, good morning you know and then they make their way through and by about lunchtime they're all kind of perked up yeah. and everything it's, yeah. it's just funny to watch you know to see the yeah, there's there's really cool things that happen with these conferences, and again, whether it's the 
IMCS or the MJA or UMJC or whichever conference, the, the uh, Jonathan Burness's Roundtable, all the different conferences, one of the most important aspects of the conference, especially for people in the Messianic movement, is that very uh, a large majority of Messianic congregations are small. Mm-hmm. There, there are not a lot of people in them. And so sometimes you can feel like, you know, John on Patmos. I'm all alone. It's just me. I'm by my. But when you gather together with a couple of hundred or a couple of thousand people who have all, you know, when, when somebody comes to your synagogue in your hometown, a lot of times they come on Saturday because that's what we do on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, but when you get in a car and drive six, eight, 10, 12, 15 hours, and you spend the money for a hotel and you spend the money for registration, you've invested in yeah. being at that event. Your sure. heart is invested in what's going on. And so when you get 200, 300, 500, 2,000 people yeah. who have all invested to be in that place, and and then you see the Messianic movement broader than the 50 or 60 or 100 or whatever at your congregation, it brings a a joy and a fulfillment to the the breath of what we are that really helps with with not feeling alone not having elijah you know i'm all by myself and there's you know just let me go die whatever in my thing so i think right. attending these conferences whether you attending because you're looking for a wife or you're <laughs> trying to but <laughs> just just the the fact that you're gathered together with a large number of people who are like-minded who love Yeshua who want to worship who have invested in being in this place yeah. is is life-changing it's it's invigorating it's spiritually enlivening and the other thing that I love is uh, I love watching the the people worship the dance you know, when when you see, you know, like at the Messiah Conference, you know, 150, 200 people all doing the dances together from all circle. over the from all over the world, yeah. all know the dances, all doing the same dance, same movement, same. It's it's this organic worship that takes place that just brings tears to your eyes, and and when you see, especially the younger ones, the children who want to be involved in that and want to be part of that. This organic worship that's going on—it's really powerful. And so, those two aspects, even even if there wasn't teaching, even if you didn't learn anything, even if you didn't hear in that way, just gathering together with people who, you know, when when five hundred or a thousand people all stand up to sing a song together in unity, when two hundred people all dance together worshiping, when when people are praying for each other and crying on each other's shoulders and and, and all those things, just the that not just fellowship like going and having coffee, but the spiritual fellowship that takes place right. in that mm-hmm. is is so meaningful and so necessary uh, for us that uh, that I think it's it, it's a worth all on its own just yeah. being there for that. Uh, I just want to say that this is also kind of a to switch back to funny, not yeah. Because uh, that's the thing that y- y- these are very meaningful times, but they're also really funny. So I, I just want to say, there's this hallowed area. This is about the southeast because this is about the Rosen. So there's this hallowed area that, like, I always wanted to go, a place where I always wanted to go, but never had a chance to because every time I look over there, it's always filled with people. Usually, male rabbis, like older male rabbis, sitting there, like people I don't know, and I would feel weird just going and sitting in the midst of these guys. And that is the hot tub. 
<laughs> at the at the Rosen Plaza pool. Like for years, I had gone to the southeast sacred, sacred ground, and it's always got all these older rabbis in it. And, I'm, and it's I don't want to say, well, yeah, I'll say, you know, it's kind of like you're a little intimidated, and these guys don't know me, I'll, you know, and I'm just like. Man, I don't know. I don't want to just. I know a couple of them, kind of, sure. whatever, you know. Yeah. So, but I always want to. Sometimes I just want to sit in the hot tub because I just want to sit there. Sure. But every time, you know, I couldn't take my wife over there. And I'm just like, ah, these guys don't know me. I finally got to sit in the dang hot tub. And it was at this past rabbi's conference. And I don't know what was different. Yeah. But I finally got a chance to go sit in that thing. And we all, me, yeah. me and Jonathan and our wives were there for a little bit. Yeah. Of course, I couldn't stay there long because it, the, of all the years that I finally get to sit in the hot tub, it was uh, it was actually the year that I became an assistant rabbi, you know, at the IMCS. Yeah. So you were also doing backstage So it's like I'm too. in the club. Yeah, I also was backstage. It was because I brought my kids. And my kids were That's just right. like, they That's wanted right. to be five minutes in the hot tub five minutes in the pool back and forth but it was the year that i brought my kids and bringing my kids to a comp to the conference which i could never not again because they loved it so much yeah but we went and um uh i spent probably as much time helping david backstage with stuff i probably spent as much time in the pool as i did because they were in the pool anytime we had a free moment i was going to bed at like nine o'clock because that day i had spent like yeah. Uh, probably four hours, four to five hours. No, literally like, like two and a half hours during the day and like two and a half to three hours at night. So, but I got to sit in the hallowed hot tub at the, at the Rosen <laughs> at this, uh, rabbi's conference. I thought that was funny. I think in, uh, you know, a lot of professions, a lot of, uh, deals are done on the golf course or at the, uh, the, the bar, the nearest, you know, bar or yeah. whatever. And, for whatever reason, in the Messianic Jewish movement, way too many things happen. The halakhic like, decisions yeah, are made things, in the hot tub. Things, things get done at the hot tub at the Rosen Plaza. <laughs> I know. And, and it like the, the trajectory of everything uh, is, is kind of yes. um, melded right there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it but, used to be that they had the hot tub, but there were also the couches that were out in the lobby. Yeah. Now they have chairs that are there, but they used to have couches. And we used to sit there, you know, after service in the evening, sometimes till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, just fellowshipping and yeah. sharing. And, and and it's such an impactful part of the thing. One back of, to, oh, go ahead. Sorry, back to what Rabbi Toby was talking about a minute ago with his kids being at the conference and all. Yes. Uh, look, my... I grew up going to these conferences like, you know, my dad, I'm a second generation rabbi. My dad's, uh, as a matter of fact, I think the Southeast Regional I've been going to for the majority of the last like 30 years. Uh, and I've gone to rabbis conferences since I was in middle school. Um, and uh, and so I'm not, I mean, I wasn't in the conference, but I was there. Yeah. Um, and so I can honestly tell you, my kids, same, my kids have kind of whether they wanted to or not, like forced to tag along with. Now they really like it because they get to go to the pool and all that kind of stuff. And now, oh, yeah. now they're a little older, so they've got a little autonomy. Yeah, and, you know, freedom. Just, yeah, they kind of yeah. can do their own thing and whatever. But uh, it, it's some of the best relationships I've had over the years in the movement, which is important. You know, if you if you don't have those connections, if you don't have those people, you can pick up a, a phone and call that know what you've been through, that that have had some of the same experiences, that have walked the same kind of path that you have uh it's really hard sometimes to do what we do but when you have those people that not only are they you know doing the same thing or they you know they're 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 kind of working the same job if you would and 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 fighting in the same field you are but they're people that you've had a deep connection with for years upon years 
uh, you know, my kids, uh, some of their closest friends are not people in our city or our county, although they have really good friends in the area. Some of their closest friends are other rabbis' kids that they've grown up with at the rabbis' conference or at the Southeast <laughs> Regional that now, like, they text back and forth constantly uh, and uh, make plans for us. Like, uh, one particular family, uh, the, the, the Hackett's. Uh, who's an associate rabbi in uh, Indianapolis? Um, their their daughter and, and our daughter are just constantly texting each other and coming up with plans. I mean, like, hey, we've decided we're all going to go do this together. So <laughs> I was like, wait, 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 wait. I feel like some steps got skipped here. What's going on? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a couple of things added to this. One is that if you're a Messianic believer, there's battles that you're in in your life that don't get experienced by any other group of people. Right. Um, and going to a conference like this allows you to fellowship with people that are going through those kind of battles. And if you're a leader, going to a, a rabbi's conference or a leadership conference does that. It's kind of like when when used to be when people went to war. When they came back from war, they'd spend a couple of weeks or a month in a ship getting back to the United States, back to their family, back to where they're going. And in that ship, they had time to basically have group therapy, to be to be with other people that had been through the experience, to walk through it, to, to deal with that. These conferences give an opportunity for people to uh, talk with people who've gone through the same journey, whether they, they might be a step behind them or a step in front of them, but but it connects in a way that allows us to strengthen one another. And and to that end, I know you're about to share dates and stuff. Uh, to that end, um, you hear us on this show talk quite a bit about the various um, the various kind of approaches and flavors <laughs> and theological opinions and, and doctrinal statements and stuff within the Messianic Jewish movement. And, and if you've listened to us for long enough, you, you know that there is a wide variance in the Messianic Jewish movement uh, in, in a lot of things. And so one of the neat things about going to these conferences is the fact that you, know, you can hear your rabbi – uh, on a regular basis and know exactly what they think and where they're coming from. But when you go to these conferences, you get to hear a, a wide swath of the Messianic Jewish it's movement. It's like going to a buffet. And, yeah. But, but, and even though there are going to be things that you're, you're not necessarily going to agree with that sure. that that are uh, said or suggested or whatever, the, the reality is, is you get to see that connective tissue that ties us all together. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah, there are some differences in the way our congregations do things versus, you know, some congregations in the West Coast or, uh, you know, the North the East. Northeast or whatever. Yeah, there, there are variances and differences, but there's there's a cohesive thread that ties us all together. And the same is true interorganizationally. The, the IMCS, the UMJC, Tikkun, Ahavat Ami, all these, like, we all have little niches and differences that we do but there's a, a cohesive thread that ties us all together. And when you go to some of these conferences, you get to see that uh, really play out and, and be fo- a right. focal point. Mm-hmm. And when I actually go to the conferences with my people from our congregation, I like to sit down with them and, and help them to choose places. You know, this one, I think you'd enjoy this. I think you'd – so that they will go to visit people from other areas, other places to listen to. I always tell them, don't come to my class. You get to hear me all the time. Go listen to someone else. But the one thing I wanted to say that, uh, as I said, the Messiah Conference in Pennsylvania either is either a week ago or two weeks ago, depending on when this comes out. But I want to encourage everybody: if you didn't get to attend Messiah Conference this year, 
uh, go to the MJAA website, look up the live stream link, and listen to the very first service. Uh, there was a young lady named Abigail Crowley that spoke. I think she was 13 years old. She's the youngest person that's ever spoke at a main stage uh, uh, Messiah Conference event, as far as I'm understanding uh, and remembering. But she gave a message that I want. I, I think everybody needs to hear, especially not just kids. Don't don't just say, "Hey, here's a 13 year old. I want you're 13. I want you to go listen to it." But but listen to the cry of her heart for our movement for. Uh, for people her age and the adults and the gr- other people around and, and just really take to heart what she said. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that there's other groups, Takoon and others have their videos, a live stream that you can catch up and I encourage you to go to their websites and, and watch some of these conferences and some of these events but especially listen to Abigail Crowley uh, her message. It's only about 10 or 15 minutes long but it's, it's 10 or 15 minutes that is well worth uh, putting your time into and uh, if you didn't get to go to any of the summer conference uh, conferences this year because you just didn't know about them or didn't plan uh, there's a conference coming up in california the south uh, west conference mjaa there's the imc i mean the the uh, southeast conference in december uh, as well as conferences with Takoon, with UMJC. And you don't have to uh, live in the region the, right. to go to the conference. Yeah, right. Yeah, and and, and region. matter of fact, there are people that just go to all of the conferences. Yeah. That's their uh, the way they, they t- get their fellowship and, and joy. So find a conference close to you or one that you can get to and, and spend time there. I promise you it'll be well worth the investment of your time and energy to go and fellowship. If, if, if all you do is get into a worship service and actually enter in with people who have purpose to be there and invested in that time, it will be a blessing to you. And do not go in with agenda. Like you're not going there thinking, okay, I'm going to get this and this and this from it. Go in and just let God do what God's going to do through yeah. the people He's uh, orchestrated for those purposes. Right, and go listen to different people. Make yeah. sure go to listen to people you've never heard of, uh, and uh, and and let God really touch your heart through uh, these events. And listen and and listen to all the titles. Like look at all the titles of the the day sessions and stuff and the ones that rub you wrong go listen to those because odds are they're going to be the ones you're going to get the most out of (laughs) yeah the conferences really teach you how to learn to use tact yeah yeah and when you go there go to the services but then go to the fellowship areas don't just go to your room don't just go by yourself but mingle yeah make the step to connect if you want to have friends you have to be friendly go to the holy ground of the hot tub (laughs) yeah if you can make it. <laughs> if you can squeeze in. <laughs> you can get it. You can get in there. Well, I hope this has been encouraging to you and a blessing. I know that it has been to us just to share some of our experiences at conferences and uh, encourage you once again. Uh, there are conferences all over the country, whether they're uh, smaller conferences like women's retreats, men's conferences and retreats, uh, regional retreats, uh, leadership retreats, whatever. Uh, find one, go attend it, become part of it, and connect with the greater Messianic movement. We are so much stronger together. Thank you for listening to the Messiantics podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can be notified every time we drop a new episode. And be sure to follow and interact with us on social media at Messiantics Podcast. <laughs>